Welcome to episode two of season five for the Empowering Women podcast. I am your host, Shannon Bumgarner. On behalf of Empowering Women in Industry and Charlie Matthews, thank you for listening to our podcast and for connecting, educating, and empowering women. We all rise together. February, it's just such a fabulous month. It is one that reminds us to extend love to all those around us and to take care of our hearts. It is also one where we have the opportunity to celebrate Black history, which honestly needs to extend in our hearts and actions all year round. I recently saw a quote that I think truly embodies this month. It was, during the season of love, focus on loving more than just those closest to you. It's so very true. We need more love and kindness in our world to elevate connection and empathy. In the words of Steve Hall, the truest form of love is how you behave towards someone, not how you feel about them. And speaking of connection and kindness, I met this episode's guest last year at a Paradigm for Parody event. During this event, I was a little nervous and honestly completely out of my comfort zone. But Carolyn Alessi, well, she made me feel seen, comfortable, and included. She is such a rock star and a genuinely fabulous human being. When she isn't wearing her superwoman cape, Carolyn is a health director for community health and well-being at Trinity Health of New England. During our conversation, Carolyn and I discuss her leadership journey in healthcare and the many lessons she has learned along the way. We talk about her work in the Million Women's Mentors Connecticut chapter and her rise to state chapter leader. And finally, we talk about the factors around health disparities and how we can all make a difference. I am so humbled and excited to bring Carolyn into your circle. You will definitely want a pen and notebook for this episode. She shares some leadership advice we can all use. I felt like it was my own personal coaching session, and I'm so happy I can share it with you. So strap in, enjoy some chocolate, and show yourself some love. I will see you on the other side. So hello, everyone, and welcome to the Empowering Women podcast. Have you ever met a person who you just knew was special? Well, that's how I feel about today's guest. We met at a Paradigm for Parody event for Women on the Rise Award winners, and congratulations because she was one of those winners. She was my fantastic table mate, and she made the night so fun and enjoyable. But Carolyn Alessi, she is definitely a woman on the rise and so much, much more. She is a regional director for Trinity Health of New England, and she's very active in improving health inequities for her community. She is also a state leader for Million Women Mentors Connecticut chapter. She's a remarkable role model, and I feel so fortunate to have her with us today. So welcome, Carolyn, to the podcast. Thank you, Shannon. It's great to be here. 
Yep, absolutely. So I'm just so excited for our listeners to meet you. And the first place we always start is we kick off those conversations, learning more about the stories of our guests. So can you tell us about some pivotal moments along your journey and that have gotten you to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, my journey um, in my professional career is kind of like a, I, I call it a leapfrog approach. You know, I've just kind of jumped from lily to lily pad to lily pad. Mm. And, um, you know, sometimes it was, you know, a lateral move and sometimes it was um, an upward promotion. But I think what was really, um, for me, uh, a pivotal in terms of my leadership, in terms of my understanding of my potential was um, me being able to really tap into my strengths and being able to understand what I could bring to the table instead of thinking about all my insecurities and what I um, couldn't bring to the table or that I may not be as uh, much of a subject matter expert in a a specific area. And so once I kind of identified that, um, it really helped me to look at roles and positions differently Hmm. and to be able to present myself in a a different way um, when I was entering into those roles. And so um, I know going into um, a role in the nonprofit sector, I um, was hired into a, a development role that, um, you know, was a little bit of a stretch for me. But yep. um, I think taking on that position was it was exciting because I thought, well, you know, I could take all of my corporate expertise and understanding around strategy and strategic partnerships and bring it into a, a national nonprofit. But what I didn't anticipate was just the understanding of how to handle board members who may have liked um, my predecessor better than me. Um, mm, I didn't oh understand how to, um, you know, navigate workplace, you know, um, dynamics when it came to competition among um, employees and particularly my own staff. And so those are all things that I think. Um, at the moment, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm I'm in the belly of the fire. I don't even want to do this anymore, <laughs> yeah. you know. But hindsight, it really sharpened me in a in a huge way. And so, uh, even in the role I have today, a lot of the dynamics that I've come across with community partners, with leadership, um, with even staff members, it's really helped me navigate it in a way that's allowed me to be more successful and and influential um, in terms of my ability to. Um, you know, have strong, crucial conversations with um, leaders about certain issues. Yeah. It's interesting you say that. We've talked, we've had quite a few episodes on the podcast and it's really come back to if somebody gives you that stretch opportunity or you, you know, you go for it, just do it. You're not going to feel comfortable. It's going to feel icky at times, but you're going to learn. You're going to be so much stronger um, for that opportunity. It sounds like you've had that exact same experience. Absolutely. And and sometimes we run away from adversity. You know, uh, you know, if we had, we find it in our jobs, we think, okay, I just need to go find another job. This isn't for me. But sometimes I tell people just stick it through because maybe it's not the dynamic of the organization. Maybe it's you needing to grow in this particular area of your um, you know, professional career, or your personal character. And so sometimes we miss those opportunities of growth when we run away and we um, jump ship too soon. And so sometimes I um, encourage people to weather the storm and, and see if it's whether it's really the dynamic of the organization or culture, or if it's just you needing to grow in your leadership and um, allowing yourself to be sharpened um, in those environments. Yeah, I I can definitely think of the flight scenario where you just want to run. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody does. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Jokingly, I told somebody this this week when I took the role that I'm in today in my my day job that first week or two, 
uh, clearly my backfill had not been named yet. And I thought, mm, maybe I can just go back. <laughs> <laughs> I think that happens to so many of us. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of careers, um, I, I looked up a couple of statistics. I think I shared them with you, but uh, women comprise about 70% of health and social care workers globally, and nearly 90% of the nursing and mid- midwifery workforce. Yet it is only estimated that they only hold about 25% of leadership roles in health, which I think is is absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. Um, given uh, a lot of people in manufacturing and roles like that, you just don't see the as many women at the bottom. You do see a, a higher percentage of that blew my mind. Um, uh, in March 2019, the World Health Organization launched a landmark report entitled <clears throat> uh, Delivered by Women, Led by Men, a gender and equity analysis of the global health and social workforce. Um, And the report essentially calls for urgent action to address gender equities in the health and social care workforce in order to reach universal health coverage and other sustainable development targets. So the four themes in their report uh, were gender parity and leadership, occupational segregation, decent work free from bias and harassment, and the gender pay gap. So it amazes me because clearly you're in healthcare leadership. So I'm really curious, what has been fundamental to your success, do you think? So um, I think there's two things for me that I found to be, um, you know, what contributed to my success. And and one is having a really strong, broad network. Uh, The work Mm. that I do um, within the community and also within our healthcare system really is dependent on relationships. It's dependent on um, opportunities open up if you know who those relationships are and if you've built them enough and if you can leverage them in a strategic way. And so for me, I've been able to really build and grow that network. So when I see an opportunity for a grant, um, I immediately know who I can tap to open a door for me. And sometimes people don't have those types of networks. um, And I Mm. see it in our healthcare system, especially um, a lot of um, the leadership is homegrown, you know, they've been in the um, mm-hmm. healthcare industry from day one and um, and they haven't really spent a lot of time broadening their network um, in the community and with other corporate partners. And so a lot of opportunities are missed. And so coming into a healthcare system with already a strong network on the um, industry side and then coming in and building that network in the community has really helped me to um, be able to advance a lot of the priorities that we're trying to achieve in our community. Um, And I think the other thing is, is I've really learned how to build internal allies, you know, um, inside the organization. Um, This is something that's often um, underutilized, you know, so you can foster really great, strong relationships um, at the leadership level if you really look to understand um, how you can serve and support those leaders and building mm-hmm. and cultivating that relationship so that when you have to make an ask for something to move forward in an organization for you or to be arced up to um, get someone's attention so that you can move forward in your decision, it's those relationships and those allies that um, are so important. And that's something that I've seen um, has allowed me to be successful in moving um, certain initiatives that some people are like, you know, that's dead in the water or that's never going to happen. But because I've built those strategic relationships internally, I've been able to go, you know, hey, can you can you kind of, um, you know, move this forward? Can I lean on you to help get this attention 
you know, the attention to the president. So these are things that I think are, are um, important when you're um, a woman, a woman in leadership, you know, and so I have certain allies on my cell phone and I text them. <laughs> hey, do you have Oh, a wow. Here? Okay. Yeah, I do. I, <laughs> I love that. Our chief medical officers and my cell phone and I'll text them. Hey, I just sent this email over to our CEO. Can you go and put in a good word for me? And he'll do it. You know, um, same with the, with other leaders. But once you build certain allies, it's amazing how other leaders, senior leaders, especially immediately give you that respect because they look at it, well, you've already gotten gained the respect of my peer. So there's something there that allows for that relationship to be trustworthy. So I'm going to lean on that and, and, and build that ally with you as well. So I think that that's, I really can't important. take notes right now, but I'm mentally <laughs> taking notes. I think that's really that important. <laughs> well, but I think it takes, I think a lot of us get caught in on our to-do list. I'm going to call it that. And we don't, we undervalue the time that we connect with others and try to form those relationships so that we do, when we do need them for whatever reason, we can go call on them. Right. Exactly. And, you know, and that's so important, um, especially as a woman in leadership, you really have to cultivate those relationships and build that trust. But I think also you have to deliver, you know, you have to be known as someone that gets things done um, and done in a timely way. You know, and that's, I think, sometimes where, unfortunately, a lot of women leaders um, tend to say yes to so many things mm. and don't deliver on any of them or, or under deliver. And, and that really hurts the reputation that really hurts the, um, the, the ability to, you know, have confidence in, in the work that you're doing. So I always really try to, if I'm going to put an, any effort in, I try to deliver, but I also try to over deliver but under promise. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I've learned three things. One I knew on the outset, which was build a network. You really taught me on really thinking about internal allyship and being very thoughtful about building those relationships and that boundary setting. So I knew from Brene's Brown's work and my, quite frankly, my own development, that boundaries are really important mm-hmm. for your, your own happiness and joy, but I'd never thought about it in terms of your ability to deliver. Cause you're right. If you're if you've spread yourself too thin, you're going to fall on something. Mm-hmm. And it may be the the something you really don't need to fall on to your point. And it hurts your reputation and your leader brand. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I love that. I'm taking notes <laughs> mentally, Carol, and I'm going to rewrite this down when this, when this recording's over. And another way that you've inspired me, and I wanted to share this with our, or, or with our audience is that you earned a certificate in women's leadership from the Yale School of Management, which is now on my bucket list, by the way. What were one or two key takeaways that you had from that program? So I'll tell you, um, I entered into that program when I first was hired as vice president of development for a nonprofit. And in the nonprofit industry, they do not really invest in leadership um, opportunities for their employees. The corporate world does, you know, as soon as you get hit a certain threshold, they're, they're investing in you, giving you a coach, um, sending you to courses, giving you executive leadership, you know, programming. Um, And so I felt like, well, if I'm going to have to succeed and I'm, if I'm going to succeed in this role, I've got to invest in myself. And so when I saw this particular program, I really felt like, okay, this is going to give me some of the tools that I need to fill some of the gaps that I have. 
And when I entered into the program, I tell you, it was really intimidating because it was a global mm. program. And there were women from all over the world, um, either owning their own business. I, I remember sitting next to a young a woman from Brazil. And I asked her, why was she in the program? She said, well, because my father owns this large um, corporation and he wants me to take it over and I need to know how to really lead effectively. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. That's, that's huge. <laughs> you know, and then to my, my other, you know, side was a woman who had been in the FBI and was promoted from field to director in, in, at one of the highest levels. And I was like, oh my goodness, I am out. I am like a fish out of water. I don't belong here, <laughs> you know? And so it was really intimidating at first, but then um, the way they navigated that was that they broke us up into teams. And in those teams, you really got to understand and, and learn that we're all in the same, we're all insecure human beings. <laughs> and so we're yeah. all trying to, you know, I hate the word fake it to make it, but we're all trying to do that, you know? And so when we were able to recognize that and put our guard down, we really had some strong collaboration and um, insights that we could share with one another and also, um, you know, become friends after, you know, um, I have several that yep. I still stay in touch with, but I think one of the things that I really, um, took away and still take away to this day is um, they they talked about being a strategic giver. And I I kind of, my ears perked when they brought that up because I'm, a, I'm generous by nature. Um, I will just sort of just sometimes even be a doormat at times um, where I'm like, yes, 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 yes. I'll do this. I'll help you all. And I'll share ideas and I'll um, help even people deliver on some of their own goals. And oftentimes I feel like I'm and I have felt before I took this program taken advantage of, you know, um, and not, yep. and when I needed that support, it wasn't readily given. It was often questioned, well, why, well, shouldn't you be leaning on this person or that person? So it was, it, it created a point of frustration for me. And so when they talked about being a strategic giver, they, they talked about the people that you invest in, that you give your time, your knowledge, your expertise, even lending a hand in an organization, you know, they should be the ones that have the potential to move up and then look down and do the same thing, you know, but if you're giving mm. to someone that is just going to suck you dry all the way up to the top, then you're, you're not going to have anything to give back down. And so that really um, changed how I approached my generous nature in, in, in the workforce. <laughs> Okay, there's my next lesson. Uh, Carolyn, I think this should just been a conversation between you I and I. Apparently, I needed a coaching call and I didn't know it. But no, I I that is that is great advice because you um if you start having a reputation for generosity and or let's just say coaching others, let's take that opportunity. Yeah, you could get pulled on quite a bit. Yeah. And there are some people that you think are going to be really great leaders um, and you pour into them and pour into them and they continue to just take, 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 um, you lose so much of your time and opportunity that it, it really, it wears you down. And I see a lot of people who tend to do that. And I, I was doing that myself is giving to people who really had no potential to do more than just what you were giving them. And so I had to start thinking about the people, even as I look at, you know, succession planning and who, who do I invest my time in that's going to really, um, you know, do great things. 
and not just, you know, um, suck you dry for lack of a better phrase, you know, that's sometimes how you feel. Yeah, it's true. It's funny. I had an experience um, earlier on in my career. It was a, a male colleague actually on my team. And I thought he had this, I won't talk about what the issue was, but he had this issue that was impeding his ability, quite frankly, to be effective in the role and then to make any further progression. And I was all in, I was going to fix this problem, right? I was a problem (laughs) solver and I sunk so much time into it. And to be honest, he never made the pivot he needed to make. And the company actually sent him to leadership classes and such to try to make that change. So I think it's, it's great advice. Don't always, always be generous and coach, but think about who you're investing that time in. Right, exactly. Like, yep. Well, speaking of investing time in um, others, my guess is that you have younger women that you mentor either firm formally or informally. What advice do you give younger women as they're entering the healthcare field? I tend to really think about what they can do in terms of their, um, opportunity. So I always encourage people to take on roles that maybe are outside of their um, expertise, you know, or training, because it can really help you look at things in a different way. So sometimes when you go into healthcare, you have a one track, you know, you have one track, you you Mm. go in as a, a nurse, you stay on that track, then your next level is to be a nurse leader. Then you go from a nurse leader to an administrator, then an administrator to a director, but you're always in the lane of nursing. And so sometimes pivoting and going in a different direction, maybe in an, another role, really helps make your de- decision-making more effective. I look at the, mm-hmm. the variety of roles that I've held in my career. And every time that I get into a position, they go, well, how did you come up with that? Or how did you um, sort of understand what was going on? And I said, it's because I have had so many different diverse experiences that I can maneuver and navigate in a way that allows me to make decisions a lot quicker um, and the learning curve a lot shorter. And so I, I always encourage young girl, young women, particularly to, to try different roles. You know, they're young enough in their career where they can take, they can do that you know, or if they don't want to take that risk inside of an organization, looking at community opportunities where they can um, grow and stretch as a leader, you know, chairing an event, chairing, a, you know, a committee, being on a collaborative and, and raising your hand to be, um, you know, sort of the lead person. I think all of those will allow you to make, um, have more exposure and make better decisions down the road. That is, that is so true. Carol, I'm going to make you laugh. So a lot of people looked at my LinkedIn profile or a resume and they're like, why did you do that again? Because in, in my career, I'll keep it super high level. I've done manufacturing. I've done different roles in procurement. And now I'm on the customer facing side of the business. And to your point, people tend to pick a lane and stay in that lane, even in manufacturing. So I think in health, it might be different in healthcare, but I think there's some similarities uh, with manufacturing. And then people like me do that. And you get kind of the hairy eyeball, like, what are you doing? But I agree. Cause it helps you see perspectives. You see perspectives different and you can make probably quicker and, and better decisions because you've sat in the seat of those other people that you might be working with on an effort. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and I think it, it just comes down to taking small risks, you know, um, for greater reward. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's something that, um, you know, 
I've, I've had to grow in, um, but I see so much value in doing that. Even when I was asked to be state leader for Million Women Mentors, Connecticut chapter. So that was a funny story and how that even came about. You know, um, I have a good friend. Yeah, please yeah, share. <laughs> I have a good friend um, who was guarding um, the lieutenant governor. It, she, it was He was her, um, for lack of a better word, um, bodyguard. And um, okay. he said, you know, you've got to get onto this council that the governor and the lieutenant governor are forming. Um, they were new in office. They're in their second term now. And I said, well, I don't really know what you're talking about, but sure. And so he said, get on to, so he made some calls and he had me go into um, a meeting uh, for the governor's council for women and girls. And they stuck me in the education and STEAM subcommittee. And I was like, why am I in this committee? I have no idea what, you know, STEAM is like, what's the acronym for that? And so I sat there just really kind of like a fish out of water going, I don't think I should be in this. I should be in the leadership subcommittee, but I kept getting pressed to be in this one. So I said, okay, let me sit in this one. Um, so I was there for about four months, four or five months. And then um, the Lieutenant Governor wanted to bring Million Women Mentors Connecticut chapter to Connecticut. It's a, a national um, network for women who um, are you know, either engaged in STEM pathways or uh, want to pursue STEM pathways. And she would, her and governor, the governor were interested in building out um, you know, STEM opportunities in Connecticut and thought that this would be a really mm-hmm. great way to do that um, and to build that network. And so they started off um, launching it in Jan- January of 2020. And I was invited as just a stakeholder to, to be a part of the, the launch. And then the launch kind of fell flat. And so six months later, um, the general counsel called me and she said, hey, you know, the lieutenant governor would like you to take on the state leader role because the prior person really didn't, you know, do a great job. And we really saw how much you had contributed to the education and STEAM subcommittee. And she feels like you'd be a great fit. So I couldn't say no, but I was like, I have no idea what this (laughs) is about. And I don't even know um, anything. You're like, I sat yeah. on the subcommittee. I, know, I, I came in as a stakeholder. Right. And now suddenly I'm the right. stakeholder. And, and, and I am, you know, so for me, I, I almost fell out of my chair when I got that call. And I was like, are, are they are they serious? Are they crazy? I don't know anything about STEM. Um, I don't even know what it stands for. I got the acronym wrong every single time I tried to say it, you know, and and stuff. And so um, I, I kind of felt a deep sense of insecurity. Of, I don't think I should do this. But I also felt like, well, it's an opportunity. Um, if I don't take it, I'll have missed out on something. And so I, I accepted the role and I convened 18 women um, across the state who were interested um, to begin with when we did the first launch. And these are subject matter experts, people who live and breathe STEM education, STEM careers, and they, they are involved at every single level. And I remember our first meeting um, that I convened, the lieutenant governor was there, and it, and I, I I started the meeting, and everyone just kind of looked at me like, who is this woman? I, we've never heard of her, we've never seen her, <laughs> and I, of course, some of them tried to bump me out of my seat by, um, you know, uh, saying, oh, you know, lieutenant governor, I remember when you and I worked on this and that, and I was just like, oh my goodness, I I I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I realized that there is something that I have that none of the others had, which is what helped me shine at the education STEAM subcommittee, is I'm not a subject matter expert. So I that means I don't get stuck in the weeds. I am able to look at yeah. things in a more um, high-level way. 
uh, more strategic and then lean on my strengths of being able to get diverse people who have differing opinions about how things should go and get them to play in the same sandbox. So I told myself, Carolyn, you've done this before. You know how to do this. This is exactly the same thing. And they can tell you exactly all the things that you need to know about STEM, but you just need to be able to move them along and start getting them to produce as volunteers so that they feel like their, their time is valued. So that's what I did. And, you know, Fast forward almost three years later, we've done incredible work. We've taken that 18 group of 18 women STEM leaders. We've incorporated male allies who are passionate about um, advancing women in STEM. We've grown our network from that small 18, you know, individuals to now over 300 people in our network. And we've done a number of um, events that are high impact, high power events and, you know, we've stood up our Stand Up for STEM Mentorship Award uh, platform. So we've done a lot in, in, you know, um, close to three years. And and it didn't depend on me. It depended on me being able to work with my um, steering committee who are subject matter experts and, get, and encouraging and inspiring them to, to lead and do great things. Yeah, I totally agree, Carolyn. I think it's funny. I've got some several parallel stories, but I think the takeaway is when you're in a situation and you don't feel like you belong or you shouldn't be in the chair, be it a role that you've accepted or a, a volunteer opportunity. I think you need to step back to your point and say, what is it that somebody saw mm-hmm. in me? What is it that I do bring to the table? Cause I, I've, I've done this multiple times in my life. I go into a, I had a women's leadership program at, at, at a company and we got put in a project sub team and it was about uh, building a balanced scorecard for mergers and acquisitions. I'm not a finance mm-hmm. person. I've never done anything with mergers and acquisitions. And I had that moment of what in the world am I doing in this team? But to your point, I learned that I have a really system process orientation and that helped me work through things that other people in our team were struggling with. So it's really figuring out you may, it may not be obvious to you at first, but it's there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's what um, we have to do as women is just be able to um, let go of our insecurities, our imposter syndrome and say, okay, I do belong here. I just got to figure out what I can contribute that's going to be meaningful and what's what are my strengths. And that's why it, a lot of times, you know, corporations say, oh, you know, identify your strengths and your weaknesses, and then they hone right in on your weakness. And that just burrows in right. that feeling of um, inadequacy when they really should be saying, okay, what are your strengths and how do we leverage those strengths to make you know us successful yeah. and to make you successful? And, and that's what I've started to really pivot towards is how can I leverage my strengths? Yeah, yeah I'm always going to have weaknesses, um, but I can't let those weaknesses, you know, impede me from being um, a leader, a leader that I know I can be. Yeah, it's funny that you say that. There's actually a book called Strength Finder. You may have read uh-huh. it that actually talks about that. It has you do some assessments and it talks about that you'll gain so much more. If you really like, for example, say like you, you're very good at strategic thinking. If you start really honing that in and getting better at it, you actually become a much stronger um, participant and leader. Yeah, very true. I'll put that in the show notes for our audience. If you're, if you've not done it and you're interested in it, Um, I'm going to pivot a little bit on you, Carolyn. So I know that you're very passionate about health disparities in your local communities. I felt that during our conversation uh, back in New York a couple of months ago, um, my understanding is these disparities can be influenced by quite a few factors. So what factors have you seen in your work in your local community that's impacted um, impacted that? Yeah, so health disparities are so um, 
it, it's disheartening when you think about someone that mm. can't access healthcare because there are certain barriers that sometimes either are driven by systemic racism or, you know, um, other mm. social, you know, influences of health like transportation, you know, um, poverty. And so in the work that I do, um, you know, I, I actually sit in one of the poorest communities in the entire state of Connecticut, the North End of Hartford. Oh, the average um, annual household income is between $25,000, $35,000 a year. Now, in order to survive in, in Hartford on just basic necessities, you have to make at least seventy dollars to $90,000 a year for a household of four. So imagine, you know, the, the mm. gap, the pay gap. And, you know, in that particular community, they don't have strong um, telecommunications infrastructure. So the Wi-Fi is challenging. So when a Wi-Fi, when access to Wi-Fi is challenging, that means you, you're not going to have opportunity to look for jobs online because you're not going to have those, you know, that, that um, internet service that's strong enough. You know, if you, this particular community lacks a grocery store in their um, community, a grocery store. I think about, I was, I was literally doing this exercise a week ago with a friend of mine. I said, you know, in my town, I can go to five different places to get fresh produce. I can go to, you know, the stop and shop, the shop, right? Price chopper, Geisler's, you know, Target. And in this particular community, they have to take a bus outside of their community to go to a grocery store. And oftentimes if they have no transportation, if they don't have funding, you know, money to get on a bus, they're not going to have, all they've got is bodegas that have, you know, high sugar, high fat, you know, um, processed mm-hmm. foods. So I feel like there is, that is an injustice in, a, in and of itself that um, this community is, is, is absent of a grocery store, you know, but we see this over and over again, um, you know, that in healthcare, why do people have chronic conditions, you know, that are unmanaged? Why is, why is obesity such a high rate? You know, why are, why are they uh, struggling with mental health? And a lot of it comes down to their environment, comes down to where they're living. It comes down to um, what they're being deprived of, you know? And, and so I see all of those things on a day-to-day basis with our, our patients, with our community. And, um, and we try to work really hard to remove those barriers or to provide opportunities for them to be able to either gain a, a, a job that makes a livable wage where they're not trying to, as a single mom, work three or four different jobs just to put the rent, you know, to pay for rent and put food on the table, but not be able to go to any of their healthcare appointments because they just don't have the time. They don't have the, the well, sure. If you're working, oh. I mean, I find it, I, 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 this is first world problem. I get it. I find it hard enough sometimes <laughs> to go to my own. Right. And I can't imagine if you're trying to raise children and, and work three jobs, you don't have time to go to the top. Exactly. And so, um, so we try to look at where we can make a difference as a healthcare system, whether it be an entry point to um, a job that then turns into a career. And that's what we're focused on right now is, is how do we do that? How do we open those doors? How do we remove those barriers? If a certification is required for a certain particular role, like a CNA, can we, can we bring them in uncertified and then certify them as they're being trained and hired and then um, moving them along the path to if they want to be a nurse, if they want to go into another um, track on the technical side that we have those pathways and opportunities. And that's something that, you know, um, organizations have to really think about what what are those barriers that they're putting in 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 front of 
people who um, don't have an opportunity to seek a higher education, don't have the means to get certified in a trade um, and then placed, you know, can we open up some doors that allow them to be able to be trained on, on site and then um, a, a pathway developed for them? So those are things that I think we're trying to solve in Connecticut is figuring out how to do that. And then the other thing is, is um, you know, transportation is a huge barrier to getting to healthcare appointments for many people. Um, either they lack a caregiver that can bring them and they're elderly, um, or they just don't have a car and the ability to um, get to different appointments, especially if they have a number of conditions. Um, so those are areas. And we also do a lot of work in violence. We're finding that the root cause of violence is poverty, you know, and, and that's really mm -hmm. the driver you know, for um, young people, if they're growing up in generational poverty and not generational wealth, they're going to try to break that, you know, curse by doing things that maybe are not the best way to do that, you know, whether it be um, being involved in gangs, selling drugs, you know, whatever it is, owning a weapon, you know, and so we're trying to work on uh, figuring out how to really make some policy and systems change in those areas as well. I had never thought about that, but it would have to be. You're you're trying to find a way mm -hmm. out. And probably in certain cases, those people are easy prey. I don't like that word, but they're like, impressionable. You know, they're fresh. Yeah, good. That's much better wording. Yep. They're impressionable. And you know, what we have found with a lot of the youth that we've worked with um with our community partners is that they didn't intend to fall into violence or violence-related activities. They just either were latchkey kids at home alone mm. um, or lacking community, you know, um, lacking that community um, connection. Oh, man. Yeah, it's so so true. I don't obviously our audience is from a diverse uh, part of the United States and some even global. But what do you think our audience members can do in their own communities to reduce health disparities, what are some actionable things they can do? So a lot of communities have boards um, that they that are open to the public to join coalitions. But I think really thinking about um, looking the the makeup of your community. If you're in a, a, a suburban community, you're not going to see the disparities as much. And so what I would encourage you to do is take some time to volunteer in an urban community in an inner city. Um, not as charity work, but as understanding those barriers and not just volunteering and showing up, but having conversations, building a connection with these individuals. Um, I find that sometimes when you know the people's stories, um, you really understand, um, wow, those are real challenges and, and how do we remove those challenges? And sometimes uh, we can be in a place of a power of uh, position or influence, and we've got to be able to think about, okay, how can I use my position and my influence to help better this community? And I would also encourage people, if they have a chance, to be able to volunteer globally in, in more um, lesser developed countries, because then I think you really see mm. the major disparities. Um, I had a chance to go to the Philippines with my daughters mm. um, over Christmas, and we, we served in a, a small village that was struck by a typhoon, and we you know, engage with the families there that lived in a one, one unit hut, you know, literally it was just a hut that was made up of a tin roof and then straw. And there was seven family members that lived there. And I was responsible for, for making dinner for them. Well, they didn't have a refrigerator. They didn't have a stove. They didn't have running water. And so for me coming from, you know, the, the, 
the place I came from where I live in a house, I've got running water, I've got, you know, lot, lots of nice knife sets to kind of slice up, you know, a, 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 and fillet a fish. I had nothing. And, right. and it really humbled me. And it, it really forced me to be resourceful because I was like, I don't want to disappoint this family and not make a meal because I don't have the right stuff. I need to figure out how to make this meal and, and, um, and so that they can have something to eat with what I have. And that type of exposure really helps change your lens around the world and, and, and in your community as well. Yeah. I also think maybe not the global piece, but in your community, it really starts to help you check your biases because you start thinking things based on your own experiences and you start really learning to your point, people's stories. And you're like, oh, maybe that bias is not so real. It's something I've created or the greater society has created and I've absorbed or a combination of the two. And it really makes you think. Oh, yeah, I love that. I had no idea. I didn't even think about internet access because it's so prevalent you know, in the communities that I grow up in. And to your point, like, even if they either got a free or sponsored online class, they couldn't take it. Right. Cause they don't, they don't, they don't have access to a computer and, and they probably don't have a library nearby that it's easy for them to, to access to and go take that class. So it, it really starts putting up all these barriers that, that other people don't, don't have. So, wow. Well, keep, keep doing that work, Caroline. It was amazing to me. And I encourage our audience, go find one organization or go have that conversation um, and learn more about what you can do and make the lives better uh, for those around you. So Caroline, I have one final question for you. Um, it's one I, I've, I've begun to start incorporating. What is one piece of leadership advice that you'd like to leave our audience with? Gosh, there's a lot, but... <laughs> I think lead with confidence, you know, um, that's something Mm. I feel like is, is like simple, but we all know in our gut what we can do. And sometimes we second guess and, and, um, talk ourselves out of an opportunity to speak up and and share an idea or an opportunity to take a, a, on a, um, major project that could, uh, you know, lead to some exposure, of who you are and, and your leadership. So I say lead with confidence. You know, if your gut is telling you, hey, you know, you should raise your hand and do this, do it, you know? And and if you're if you're not sure what, you know, uh, if 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 you're not sure if you're going to be able to succeed, then then find your advisory board, you know, your people, the your team that will give you support and, and knowledge and encouragement to succeed um, in whatever you decide you want to set foot in. And, and that's what I would just really encourage people to do. I love that. So the, I did live. What's the, I do have one final question. Where can people find you on social media? So if people want to connect with you and watch the amazing things you're doing, uh, where can they connect with you? Yeah, so there's two places. They can um, either, I do a lot of posting on my LinkedIn more so than I do my Facebook on a lot of projects and works okay. and even thought um, thoughts that I have around the work I do. So um, if you just look me up under Carolyn Roberts Celesi, you'll find my LinkedIn pretty quickly. Um, for the work that I do with Million Women Mentors Connecticut chapter, we, we do have um, some social media handles. Um, at um, on Instagram, we have at MWM-CT. And then on our Facebook, we have MW Mentors with an SCT. And so you can find us that way. And then on LinkedIn, um, it's Million Women Mentors Connecticut chapter. And so if you want to follow us that, you know, we post a lot of different things on there as well. And then we also have an email distribution list. So if you email me at millionwomen, 
mentorct at gmail.com. We can add you to our uh, e-newsletter that we send out monthly. Um, and then any other work that I do, you can follow Trinity Health in New England. Yep. Well, Carolyn, I feel so blessed. I know you're one busy lady. So thank you so much for the time. Thank you for that wonderful evening where, where we had the chance to meet. And I'm just feel so blessed to be in your presence. Thank you so much. Thank you to your audience for being with us today. And I will see you soon, everybody. Bye. Have a good day. Bye. What an episode. I feel like we just had a master class in leadership. I told you, Carolyn is a rock star and a true inspiration. I really love the advice Carolyn shared about building internal allies. Yeah, yeah, we all know that networking is important. But honestly, I feel like we check the box, both in our work lives and personal lives. We often do not take the time to truly build these relationships. Obviously, we, we can't and won't build strong relationships with everyone we meet, but we do need to cultivate relationships with internal allies, thought leaders, and diverse stakeholders. Sometimes, well, we just have a hard time pulling ourselves away from the task list, including yours truly. Oh, it is so satisfying to knock out actions on that list. I get it. But those actions, well, they can often be meaningless if you're doing it in a vacuum. Relationship building and connectivity is, in my humble opinion, one of the most important things you will do in your day. Deliberately make time for it. Think about it this way. These folks can support us and share our causes. They can use their voice and influence to clear a path. They will believe in us when the rest of the world, well, they might think we're a little crazy. These folks are our bridge to living our purpose. And speaking of building relationships, well, empowering women in industry, well, that's where it's at. A fantastic place to start. If you are new to our community, you can find links to the Empowering Women website in the show notes. We are excited to meet you. There are various ways to engage with us throughout the year, including our mentoring circles, monthly meetups, and book club. You can join us at any time, even if you've missed a couple or all the prior meetings. It doesn't matter. We want to see your smiling, beautiful face. There is no better investment than this investment in yourself. For the book club in specific, we are reading Trust Your Own Voice by Karen Laus. And if you've not yet met Karen, you will love her. And I promise it will be your masterclass in communication. I will put links to all of these in the show notes. And on your favorite podcast platform, please like us and provide a positive review. This will allow more listeners to find their way toward our community. Share with your friends. We want to connect and build relationships with them. So as we move through February and the rest of 2023, think about how you can spread love in your life. How can you build relationships? How can you connect with others? How can you bring them along in your purpose? 
In the wise words of Melinda Gates, she says, deep human connection is the purpose and the result of a meaningful life. It will inspire the most amazing acts of love, generosity, and humanity. I am challenging you to focus on this deep human connection in 2023. It will bring you more joy and fulfillment than you could ever imagine. A continual spark to ignite your fire within. See you in March.